My dear brethren and sisters, since our last general conference, my sweetheart, my beloved wife for 59 years, passed away. While I was at home on a rare Saturday with no assignment, we had worked together. She had washed our clothing. I had helped to carry it, fold it, and put it in place. Then, sitting on the sofa, holding hands, enjoying a program on television, my precious dancel slipped peacefully into eternity. Her passing came suddenly and unexpectedly. Just four days earlier, our doctor's report at a routine checkup indicated that her laboratory tests were good. After my efforts to revive her proved fruitless, feelings of shock and sorrow overwhelmed me. My closest friend, angel mother of our ten children, grandmother of our 56 grandchildren, had been taken from us. Dancel was not only a loved and loving companion, she was a teacher. By her noble example, she taught faith, virtue, obedience, and mercy. She taught me how to listen and to love. Because of her, I know all the blessings that can come to a husband, father, and grandfather. With deep gratitude, I acknowledge the tremendous outpouring of love from dear friends across the world. Countless letters, calls, cards, and other messages have been sent. All tributes expressed loving admiration for her and sympathy for us whom she left behind. Those messages came in such large numbers that we regretfully were unable to respond to all of them individually. May I thank each and all for your great kindness toward us. Thank you so very, very much. Your expressions have brought much comfort through this time of heartache for our family. We really love Dear Dancel. We miss her. From her sudden departure, we can learn a very important lesson. Now is the time to prepare to meet God. Tomorrow may be too late. Prophets through the ages have so declared, This life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Do not procrastinate the day of your repentance. Yet many do procrastinate. A prophet warns us, Ye cannot say that I will repent, that I will return to my God. Nay, ye, ye cannot say this. For that same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the time that ye go out of this life, that same spirit will possess your body in that eternal world. Another prophet adds, 
He that is filthy shall be filthy still, and he that is righteous shall be righteous still. Great is the knowledge that whatever principle of intelligence we attain in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. From the Prophet Joseph Smith, we also learn that God has a time appointed when He will bring all His subjects who have obeyed His voice and kept His commandments into His celestial rest. This rest is of such perfection and glory that man has need of a preparation before he can, according to the laws of that kingdom, enter it and enjoy its blessings. God has given certain laws to the human family which, if observed, are sufficient to prepare them to inherit this rest." Close quote. Sister Nelson was so prepared. That glorious goal seems mighty distant if one is discouraged by worldly trouble and gloom. I remember when a friend, having a difficult day, exclaimed, Oh, why was I ever born? God's plan answers his question. We came into this life to acquire a physical body. We may fall in love and be married. We may have children and experience the trials of mortal life. Please forgive me for mentioning children and the trials of life in the same breath. <laughs> I sense that they are both part of our growing process. The Church was restored. The earth was created so that those families could be sealed in holy temples. Otherwise, the whole earth would be utterly wasted. We came to be tried, to be tested, and to choose. Our decisions determine our destiny. We are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator or to choose captivity and death. Those who choose the Lord's way will likely endure persecution, but their reward is certain. Those who prove faithful shall inherit the kingdom of God, and their joy shall be full forever. Sister Nelson has earned that reward. What comfort that brings to me and our family. Trials and tests apply to rich and poor alike. Years ago, I was asked to perform an operation upon a very wealthy man. A surgical biopsy confirmed that he had an advanced cancer that had spread throughout his body. As I reported this news, his immediate response was to rely upon his wealth. He would go anywhere or do anything to treat his condition. He thought he could buy his way back to health, but he soon passed away. Someone asked, How much wealth did he leave? The answer, of course, was 
all of it. His priorities were set upon things of the world. His ladder of success had been leaning against the wrong wall. I think of him when I read this scripture. Behold, your days of probation are past. Ye have procrastinated the day of your salvation until it is too late. In radiant contrast, Sister Nelson prepared throughout her life for the time when she would return to God. She lived each day as though it were her last. She cherished every hour, knowing that time on earth is precious. Some people live as if there were no day of reckoning. Others waste today's time with a disabling fear of tomorrow or a paralyzing preoccupation over mistakes of yesterday. Each of us might well heed the words of a poet as posted on a sundial. The shadow by my finger cast divides the future from the past. Before it sleeps the unborn hour in darkness and beyond thy power, Behind its unreturning line, the vanished hour, no longer thine. One hour alone is in thy hands, the now on which the shadow stands. Now is the time, but how do we prepare? Begin with repentance. Scripture declares, if ye have sought to do wickedly in the days of your probation, then ye are found unclean before the judgment seat of God. No unclean thing can dwell with God. He gave this simple rule. Except ye abide my law, ye cannot attain to this glory. Now is the time to show reverent respect for one's physical body. It serves as the tabernacle for one's spirit throughout all eternity. Physical appetites are to be controlled by the will of one's spirit. We are to deny ourselves of all ungodliness. We are to forsake all evil and cleave unto all good and live by every word which proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God. Because of frequent and frightening calamities in the world, some people doubt the existence of God. But, in fact, He is trying to help us. He revealed these words. How oft! Have I called upon you by the mouth of my servants, and by the ministering of angels, and by mine own voice, and by the voice of thunderings and tempests, earthquakes, great hailstorms, famines, and pestilences of every kind, and would have saved you with an everlasting salvation? But ye would not. His hope for us is eternal life. We 
qualify for it by obedience to covenants and ordinances of the temple for ourselves, our families, and our ancestors. We cannot be made perfect without them. We cannot wish our way into the presence of God. We are to obey the laws upon which those blessings are predicated. God's plan is fair. Even those who have died without a knowledge of the gospel, who would have received it if they had been permitted to tarry, shall be heirs of the celestial kingdom of God. His plan is also merciful. He will judge all men according to their works, according to the desire of their hearts. Now is the time to enroll our names among the people of God. This we do by paying tithing. He tithes His people to bless them. Sister Nelson taught that lesson to our family over and over again. Now is the time to align our goals with God's goals, His work and His glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man can become ours. Of temple marriage, the Savior declared, If a man marry a wife by my word, which is my law, and by the new and everlasting covenant, they shall inherit thrones, kingdoms, principalities, and powers, dominions, exaltation, and glory in all things. We are to emulate the example of the Lord, to love as He did, to pray as He did, and to endure to the end as He did. Death is a necessary component of our eternal existence. No one knows when it will come, but it is essential to God's great plan of happiness. Thanks to the Atonement of the Lord, eventual resurrection is a reality, and eternal life is a possibility for all humankind. That possibility becomes a reality as we obey God's law. He said, Except ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. One day we will be judged by the Lord and go to our own mansion prepared in our Father's heavenly house. Celestial glory awaits those who have been faithful to God's gentle commands. Brothers and sisters, we live to die, and we die to live in another realm. If we are well prepared, death brings no terror. From an eternal perspective, death is premature only for those who are not prepared to meet God. Now is the time to prepare. Then, when death comes, we can move toward the celestial glory that Heavenly Father has prepared for His faithful children. Meanwhile, for sorrowing loved ones left behind, such as our family and me, the sting of death is soothed by a steadfast faith in Christ. 
a perfect brightness of hope, a love of God and of all men, and a deep desire to serve them. That faith, that hope, that love will qualify us to come into God's holy presence and with our eternal companions and families dwell with Him forever. Of this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the talks that has had an everlasting impression on me is one given in a Saturday evening session of a state conference years ago. The talk was given by a young mother. Here is what she said. I've been doing the genealogy of my great-grandfather. He and his large family of sons and daughters were members of the Church. My great-grandfather, she said, left the Church one Sunday with his family, and they never returned. No indication why. She then said, In my research I have found that my great-grandfather has over 1,000 descendants. And then she said, And this is the part I have not been able to forget. Of those 1,000 descendants, I am the only one active in the Church today. As she said these words, I found myself thinking, Is it only 1,000, or could it be more? The answer is apparent. The spiritual influence that family might have had on their neighbors and friends did not happen. None of his sons nor any of his daughters served as missionaries, and those they would have touched with their testimonies were not baptized, and those who were not baptized did not go on missions. Yes, there are probably many thousands who are not in the Church today, and not in this very meeting because of that great-grandfather's decision. As I heard her talk, I found myself thinking, what a tragedy! Perhaps if, if I had been there I, at that time, I could have said something to the Father, to the family, to the priesthood leaders that might have helped to prevent such a calamity to their family and to so many of the future generations that would follow. Well, that opportunity of the past is lost. But we can now look to the present and to the future. I would say to those who find themselves in the same position as that great-grandfather, would you consider what you might be doing to your family and to all those who come after you? Would you ponder the effects of your thoughts and your actions? If there are any concerns about the Church doctrine, Consider the counsel given by President Gordon B. Hinckley to a large meeting of over 2,000 members in Paris, France, last year. He said, quote, I plead with you, my brothers and sisters, that if you have any doubt concerning any of the doctrine of this Church, that you put it to the test. Try it 
Live the principles. Get on your knees and pray about it, and God will bless you with a knowledge of the truth of this work." If you feel you've been wronged, be ready to forgive. If there is, for some reason, an unpleasant memory, let it go. Where necessary, talk to your bishop, talk to your stake president, to all but especially to those who someday will be great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers. Your eternal blessings and those of your posterity are far more important than any prideful reason which would deny you and so many others of such important blessings. In the Book of Mormon, King Benjamin reminds us, And moreover, I would desire that ye should consider on the blessed and happy state of those who keep the commandments of God. For, behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual, and if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in in a state of never-ending happiness. To those who are children in the homes of future errant great-grandfathers, you can continue to stand faithful. You can be a good example in the home and to those around you. You can do your part to bring peace and harmony in the home and with your associates. You can be the solution and not the cause of problems. Remember, in the Book of Mormon, when Father Lehi began to murmur, It was his righteous son Nephi who gave encouragement and found solutions to problems. So many times it is the righteous children who are able to steady the boat while sailing in turbulent waters. To you who are bishops and stake presidents, how I wish you could have been part of a meeting I attended with a handful of regional representatives. We heard Elder L. Tom Perry as he compared those who are prospective elders and those who are not active, the future great-grandfathers, to a thermometer. We were reminded that there are many of those individuals who are more than just warm. They would come back if someone would just encourage and show the way. I would like to tell you of a state conference I was assigned to attend. It was a reorganization. The state president and his counselors would be released, and a new presidency would be called. The state president was young and had served wonderfully for almost ten years. He was a spiritual giant, but he was also an administrative giant. In my personal interview with him, he told me how he had delegated much of the responsibility for the stake functions to his counselors and to the High Council, and had thus freed himself to interview those who needed encouragement. Individuals and couples were invited to come to his office. There he got to know them, counseled with them, and invited them to do better to put their lives in order, and to receive the blessings available to those who love the Lord 
and follow him. He helped them by putting them in the care of a capable leader, a teacher, who helped them to understand the beauties of the doctrine. Then he told me in those, these interviews he would often ask if they would like a blessing. I have placed my hands on the heads of many members of the stake, he said. The next day in the general session of the state conference, I doubt I have ever seen so many tears. Not because they felt the president should not be released, but for the deep love of a young stake president who had blessed their lives. I felt prompted to ask, How many of you have had the hands of the president on your heads? I was amazed at the number of people who raised their hands. I thought to myself at the time, How many of these people will bless the name of this great man, not only now, but throughout the eternities? Yes, these will be the great-grandfathers who will, because of this loving leader, leave a legacy of generations of thousands who will call him blessed. When we see what the effect of one person can have on the lives of so many, it perhaps is no wonder that the Lord reminded us, Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. I pray we all might consider what we can do individually to assist those who will be the future great-grandparents, whether it is a little child, a teenager, or an adult, so that each will leave a righteous legacy of those who know and love the Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We warmly welcome you, new brethren, and your wives into the brotherhood of the general authorities. I am very grateful to be able to discuss with you an exciting development that will make it easier for each of us to share with loved ones and friends the glorious message of the restoration of the Church of Jesus Christ. It has ignited the minds and hearts of our missionaries, for it equips them to teach their message with power and to bear testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and of His Prophet Joseph Smith without the constraint of a prescribed dialogue. Developed primarily for full-time missionary use, others have discovered that this material has proven to be most beneficial for parents want to help their children prepare for a mission. Young men and women, as well as some couples, are using the resource to get a head start before entering the missionary training centers. Some priesthood leaders have confirmed its worth in preparing Moronic priesthood brethren for missions. This tool is invaluable in assisting priesthood and auxiliary efforts to help new members become stronger in testimony and obedience. I speak of this new guide. Preach my gospel and its attendant planning tools such as this missionary daily planner. 
May I share with you why I am so enthusiastic about Priestmite Gospel? It has focused our missionary effort as never before. For years, I have asked groups of missionaries, What is the purpose of your mission? Their individual responses differed greatly. Most did not have any concrete purpose to organize their efforts. Page 1 of this guide powerfully focuses missionaries on their true purpose. Invite others to come into Christ by helping them receive the restored gospel through faith in Jesus Christ and His Atonement, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. The contents then suggest how to do that is led by the Spirit. The former missionary materials were effective for their time, but the world has changed dramatically. The values which form the bedrock foundation of society are being assaulted by Satan and his allies. There has been an urgent need for an improved way to share the fullness of the truth that God has placed on earth again. This includes an understanding of God's plan of happiness and of how it has been returned to earth through a singular prophet, Joseph Smith. Also, that the Church of Jesus Christ, with a priesthood authority to act in His name, is once again on earth in its fullness. Well, did President Hinckley teach? For many years now, we have had a standard set of missionary lessons. Great good has come of this, but unfortunately, this method, in all too many cases, has resulted in a memorized presentation lacking in spirit and in personal conviction. Missionaries should master the concepts of the lessons, but they should, not, they should teach the concepts in their own words under the guiding influence of the Holy Spirit. That principle is a foundation pillar of Preach My Gospel. Missionaries throughout the world now get into their minds and hearts the message of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the plan of salvation, essential commandments, and the laws and ordinances of the gospel. These lessons are then given in their own words as guided by the Spirit. This focus has dramatically improved the effectiveness of missionaries that use it. Priest My Gospel contains chapters that give extremely valuable information on how to recognize and understand the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There are scriptures on how to effectively study, how to refine personal teaching skills. One chapter explains why the Book of Mormon is the keystone of our religion, how it can answer profound questions of the soul how it can build faith and help others draw closer to God. Additional instructions how the Book of Mormon is a tangible resource that an individual can use to confirm the truthfulness of our message. Missionaries taught how to seek Christ-like attributes such as hope, charity, and love, for love is the foundation of all meaningful missionary service.
Excellent suggestions are given for learning a mission language. Clear, effective planning tools are provided to help a missionary to use time more wisely. Proven methods are shared to identify and prepare individuals to teach. Practical guidance is given to help individuals make and keep commitments that lead to baptism, confirmation, and retention. This guide contains tools to integrate the efforts of full-time missionaries, stake, and ward leaders and members. With that help, more new members can make a secure transition into the family of the Church. There is greater assurance that those who, through baptism and confirmation, take upon themselves the name of Jesus Christ and commit to obey His commandments will receive His promised blessings throughout life. Using the inspired content of Preach My Gospel, many missionaries have made dramatic improvements in their capacity to teach with conviction and to invite the confirming witness of the Holy Ghost. Recently, I asked two assistants to a mission president to share the vision of Joseph Smith while I acted as the investigator. I planned to vigorously challenge them to see how they'd respond. Yet the sincerity of their message, the purity of their intent, the skill with which it was delivered, even in a practice session, was so compelling that I could not do it. You can observe this improvement yourself. Invite missionaries to present the first lesson to your family in your home. Better yet, invite neighbors to come to your home to be taught by missionaries. Guided by the Spirit and in their own words, they will explain how Father in Heaven has used prophets throughout the ages to communicate His plan of happiness to His children. Feel their testimony as they bear witness of the sublime vision in which God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ appeared to Joseph Smith. They will skillfully unfold the subsequent events that restored the fullness of the gospel with the authority to act in the name of God on earth again. You can also accompany missionaries as they teach others these inspiring truths. Your presence will greatly strengthen those who hear these precious truths for the first time. Intensive effort on the part of the First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve, other general authorities, and most capable teams of devoted, experienced staff members produced Preach My Gospel and its planning tools. Those who participated in its development are witnesses of the inspired direction of the Lord through the Holy Ghost in the conception, framing, and finalization of the materials in Priest My Gospel. After extensive testing and 14 missions, Priest My Gospel was adjusted. That result was reviewed, modified, and approved by the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve. On October 15, 2004, a worldwide satellite broadcast introduced mission presence and missionary leaders to preach my gospel. 
every missionary throughout the world was given an English copy. While many did not speak English, they felt part of the renewal of our missionary effort. Interesting, some foreign language-speaking missionaries were motivated to learn English. Early this year, Japanese, Korean, Spanish, and Portuguese versions of Preach My Gospel were distributed. By the end of the year, we anticipate that the guide will be available in most of the languages spoken by missionaries. Missionaries are not alone in benefiting from Preach My Gospel. One mission president's wife studied and pondered every word in Preach My Gospel, including every scriptural reference. She then she did something she had not had the courage to do. She invited a close relative to study and ponder the Book of Mormon. That individual accepted her invitation and has been greatly benefited. Another family uses Preach My Gospel to help prepare children for missions. They reported, Our 17-year-old was the first to get an assignment. As expected, he looked for the shortest segment in the book. His lesson, however, was a 20-minute heartfelt expression of the principles, complete with scriptures and testimony from a father preparing a son for missionary service, preached my gospel has given me perspective and clear understanding of the purpose of life, my duties and responsibilities as a member of the Church, as a father and as a husband. It has also given me concrete tools to better pursue that present, that journey. That son was called to be a missionary yesterday. I encourage you to use these materials in your presidency, priesthood executive committee meetings, and in ward councils to assure that those who take upon themselves the covenants of baptism receive throughout their lives the full fruits of Church membership. Through the use of the new progress record for individuals preparing for baptisms, missionary and member efforts can be powerfully coordinated. I am confident that more new converts will find it easier to fulfill their desire to remain active as members and missionaries work together using the principles and preach my gospel. The First Presidency message in Preach My Gospel provides great missionary motivation. Perhaps it will encourage you in your own missionary efforts. It states, There is no more compelling work than this. Preach My Gospel is intended to help you be a better prepared, more spiritually mature missionary and a more persuasive teacher. We challenge you to rise to a new sense of commitment to assist our Father in Heaven in His glorious work. The Lord will reward you and richly bless you as you humbly and prayerfully serve Him. Can you catch the vision? You get as excited as I am when you're in your personal life. You begin to understand and use this missionary tool. Unlike prior full-time missionary resources, Preach My Gospel is available to any leader or member through Church distribution. 
Probably the greatest benefit from preaching my gospel will be seen in the lives of returned missionaries. There will be stronger parents, more able Church leaders, and better professionals because of the growth that comes from understanding and applying its inspired content. On behalf of our missionaries worldwide, we express gratitude to all who participated in the preparation, printing, and distribution of Preach My Gospel. We're grateful for each mission president and missionary who is mastering its effective use. Ultimately, we're grateful to the Lord for His inspiration. I encourage you to find out how this extraordinary resource can help in your missionary efforts either as a parent preparing a child for a mission, church leader helping new converts, a member sharing the gospel, or an individual getting ready to serve. May the Savior bless and inspire you as you do so, for He lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Many years ago, when I was called as a bishop, I had a desire for the bishopric to visit those who are less active in the Church and see if there's anything we could do to bring the blessings of the gospel into their lives. One day we visited a man in his fifties who was a respected mechanic. He told me the last time he had been to Church was when he was a young boy. Something had happened that day. He had been acting up in class and was being noisier than he should when his teacher became angry, pulled him out of class, and told him not to come back. He never did. It is remarkable to me that an unkind word spoken more than four decades earlier could have, have such a profound effect, but it had. And as a consequence, this man had never returned to church Neither had his wife or children. I apologized to him and expressed my sorrow that he had been treated that way. I told him how unfortunate it was that one word spoken in haste and so long ago could have the effect of excluding his family from the blessings that come from Church activity. After forty years, I told him it's time the Church made things right. I did my best to do so. I reassured him that he was welcome and needed. I rejoiced when this man and his family eventually returned to Church and became as strong and, and faithful members. In particular, this good brother became an effective home teacher because he understood how something as small as an unkind word could have consequences that extend throughout a lifetime and perhaps beyond. Kindness is the essence of greatness and the fundamental characteristic of the the noblest men and women I have known. Kindness is a passport that opens doors and fashions friends. It softens hearts and molds relationships that can last lifetimes. Kind words not only lift our spirits in the moment they are given, but they can linger with us over the years. One day when I was in college, a man seven years my senior congratulated me on my performance in a football game. He not only pra praised how well I had done in the game, 
but he had noticed that I had showed good sportsmanship. Even though this conversation happened more than 60 years ago, and even though it's highly unlikely the person who complimented me has any recollection of this conversation, I still remember the kind words spoken to me that day by Gordon B. Hinckley, who later became president of the Church. The attributes of thoughtfulness and kindness are inseparably linked with President Hinckley. When my father passed away in 1963, President Hinckley was the first person to come to our home. I'll never forget his kindness. He gave my mother a blessing and, among other things, promised her that she had much to look forward to and that life would be sweet for her. These words have brought comfort to her and to me, and I'll never forget his kindness. Kindness is the essence of a celestial life. Kindness is how a Christ-like person treats another. Kindness should be permanent in all of our words and actions at work, at school, at church, and especially in our homes. Jesus, our Savior, was the epitome of kindness and compassion. He healed the sick. He spent much of his time ministering to the one or many. He spoke compassionately to Samarian, the Samarian woman who was looked down upon many. He instructed his disciples to allow the little children to come unto me. He was kind to all who had sinned and condemning only the sin, not the sinner. He kindly allowed thousands of Nephites to come forward and feel the nail prints in his hands and feet. Yet his greatest act of kindness was found in his atoning sacrifice, thus freeing all from the effects of death and all from the effects of sin on conditions of repentance. The Prophet Joseph Smith exemplified kindness in his life to everyone, old and young. One child who benefited from the Prophet's kindness remembered My older brother and I were going to school near to the building which was known as Joseph's Brick Store. It had been raining the previous day, causing the the ground to be very muddy, especially along that street. My brother Wallace and I got both feet in the mud and could not get out. And of course, childlike, we began to, to cry, for we thought we would have to stay there. But looking up, I beheld the loving friend of children the Prophet Joseph Smith, coming to us. He soon had us on higher ground. Then he stooped down and cleaned the mud from our little heavy-laden shoes, took his handkerchief from his pocket, and wiped our tear-strained faces. He spoke kind and cheering words to us and sent us on our way to school rejoicing. There is no substitute for kindness in the home. This lesson I learned from my father. He always listened to my mother's advice. As a result, he was a better, wiser, and kinder man. I have tried to follow my father's example and and listen to my wife's point of view. I value, value her opinion. For example, when my wife begins a sentence with the words, I should think you would, I instantly pay attention and begin searching my mind for something I may have done wrong. Oftentimes, before my wife has finished her sentence, I have already planned out my, in my mind a magnificent apology. <laughs> in truth, my wife is a model of kindness, gentleness, and compassion, and her insight 
counsel and support have been invaluable to me. Because of her, I, too, am a wiser and kinder person. The things you say, the tone of your voice, the anger or calm of your words, these things are noticed by your children and by others. They see and learn both the kind as well as the unkind things we say or do. Nothing exposes our true selves more than how we treat one another in the home. I often wonder why some feel they must be critical of others. It gets in their blood, I suppose, and it becomes so natural they often don't even think about it. They seem to criticize everyone the way Sister Jones leads the music, the way Brother Smith teaches a lesson or plants his garden. Even when we think we're doing no harm by our critical remarks, consequences often follow. I'm reminded of a boy who handed a donation envelope to his bishop and told him it was for him. The bishop, using this as a teaching moment, explained to the boy that he should mark on the donation slip whether it was for tithing, fast offerings, or for something else. The boy insisted the money was for the bishop himself. When the bishop asked why, the boy replied, Because my father says, You're one of the poorest bishops we've ever had. <laughs> the Church is not a place where perfect people gather to say perfect things or say perf- have perfect thoughts or have perfect feelings. The Church is a place where imperfect people gather to provide encouragement, support, and service to each other as we press on in our journey to return to our Heavenly Father. Each one of us will travel a different road during this life. Each progresses at a different rate. Temptations that trouble your brother may not challenge you at all. Strengths that you possess may seem impossible to another. Never look down on those who are less perfect than you. Don't be upset because someone can't sow as well as you, can't throw as well as you, can't hoe as well as you. We're all children of our Heavenly Father, and we're here with the same purpose—to learn to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. One way you can measure your value in the kingdom of God is to ask, How well am I doing in helping others to reach their potential? Do I support others in in the Church, or do I criticize them? If you are criticizing members of the Church, you are weakening the Church. If you are building others, you are building the kingdom of God. As Heavenly Father is kind, we also should be kind to others. Elder James E. Talmadge, a man who is remembered for his doctrinal teachings, showed great kindness to a neighbor family in distress. They were complete strangers to him before he was an apostle. As a young father, he became aware of great sufferings at the neighbor's home, whose large family was stricken with dreaded diphtheria. He did not care that they were not members of the Church. His kindness and charity moved him to act. The Relief Society was desperately trying to find people to help, but no one would because of the contagious nature of the disease. When he arrived, James found one toddler already dead and two others who were in agony from the disease uh, with the baby of the family showing other symptoms. He immediately went to work 
cleaning the untidy house, preparing the young body for burial, cleaning and providing for the other sick children, spending the entire day doing so. He came back next, the next morning to find one more of the children died that night. He wrote in his journal, The little girl was still suffering terribly. She clung to my neck, oftentimes coughing germs upon my face and clothing, yet I could not put her from me. During the half hour immediately preceding her death, I walked the floor with a little child in my arms. She died in, she died in agony at 10.10 a.m. So the three children have departed all within the space of 24 hours. He then assisted the family with the burial arrangements and spoke at the graveside services. This he did all for a family of strangers. What a great example of Christ-like kindness. When we're all filled with kindness, we're not judgmental. The Savior taught, Judge not, that ye not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. He also taught, With what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. But you ask, what if people are rude? Love them. If they are obnoxious, love them. But what if they offend? Surely I must do something then. Love them. Wayward, the answer is the same. Be kind. Love them. Why? In the scriptures, Jude taught, and some have compassion, making a difference. Who can tell what far-reaching impact we can have if we are only kind? My brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ transcends mortality. Our work here is but a shadow of greater and unimaginable things to come. The heavens opened to the prophet Joseph Smith. He saw the living God and his son Jesus Christ. In our day, a prophet, President Gordon B. Hinckley, walks the earth and provides direction for our time. As our Heavenly Father loves us, we also should love, should love his children. May we be models of kindness. And will we ever live up to the words of the Savior? But this shall all men know, that ye are my, dis my disciples, if ye have love one to another. All these truths I bear witness in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, both within my view and assembled throughout the world, I seek an interest in your prayers and your faith as I respond to the assignment and privilege to speak to you. I begin by expressing commendation to all of you. In this challenging world, the youth of the Church are the very best ever. The faith, the service, and the actions of our members are praiseworthy. We are a prayer prayerful and a faith-filled people, ever striving to be honest and decent. We take care of our own. We try to show love to our neighbors. However, lest we become complacent, may I quote from 2 Nephi in the Book of Mormon, quote, At that day shall the devil lull them away into carnal security, that they will say, All is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, all is well, and thus the devil cheateth their souls. Close quote.
Someone has said that our complacency tree has many branches, and each spring more buds come into bloom. We cannot afford to be complacent. We live in perilous times. The signs are all around us. We are acutely aware of the negative influences in our society that stalk traditional families. At times, television and movies portray worldly and immoral heroes and heroines and attempt to hold up as role models some actors and actresses whose lives are anything but exemplary. Why should we follow a blind guide? Radios blare forth much denigrating music with blatant lyrics, dangerous invitations, and descriptions of almost every type of evil imaginable. We, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, must stand up to the dangers which surround us and our families. To aid us in this determination, I offer several suggestions, as well as some examples from my own life. I begin with family home evening. We cannot afford to neglect this heaven-inspired program. It can bring spiritual growth to each member of the family, helping him or her to withstand the temptations which are everywhere. The lessons learned in the home are those that last the longest. As President Gordon B. Hinckley and his predecessors have stated, the home is the basis of a righteous life, and no other instrumentality can take its place nor fulfill its essential functions. Dr. Glenn J. Doman, noted author and medical authority, wrote, The newborn child is almost an exact duplicate of an empty computer, although superior to such a computer in almost every way. What is placed in the child's mind during the first eight years of life is probably there to stay. If you put misinformation into his mind during this period, it's extremely difficult to erase it. Dr. Doman added, the most receptive age in human life is that of two or three years of age. I like this thought. Your mind is a cupboard, and you stock the shelves. Let us make certain that our cupboard shelves and those of our family members are stocked with the things which will provide safety to our souls and enable us to return to our Father in Heaven. Such shelves could well be stocked with, oh, gospel scholarship, faith, prayer, love, service, obedience, example, and kindness. Next, I address the subject of debt. This is a day of borrowing, a day when multiple credit card offers arrive in our mailboxes each week. They generally offer a very low rate of interest, which may apply for a short period of time. But one does not usually read that after that period has expired, the rates increase dramatically. I share with you a statement made by President J. Reuben Clark, Jr who many years ago was a member of the First Presidency. Its truth is timeless. Said he, 
It is a rule of our financial and economic life in all the world that interest is to be paid on borrowed money. Interest never sleeps, nor sickens, nor dies. It never goes to the hospital. It works on Sundays and holidays. It never takes a vacation. It never visits or travels. It takes no pleasure. It is never laid off nor discharged from employment. It never works on reduced hours. Once in debt, interest is your companion every minute of the day and night. You cannot shun it or slip away from it. You cannot dismiss it. It yields neither to entreaties, demands, or orders. And whenever you get in its way or cross its course or fail to meet its demands, it crushes you. My brothers and sisters, I am appalled at some of the advertising I see and hear advocating home equity loans. Simply put, they are second mortgages on homes. The promotion for such loans is designed to tempt us to borrow more in order to have more. What is never mentioned is the fact that should one be unable to make this second house payment, one is in danger of losing his house. Avoid the philosophy and excuse that yesterday's luxuries have become today's necessities. They aren't necessities unless we ourselves make them such. Many of our young couples today want to begin with multiple automobiles and the type of home mother and dad worked a lifetime to obtain. Consequently, they enter into long-term debt on the basis of two salaries. Perhaps too late, they find that changes do come. Women have children. Sickness stalks some families. Jobs are lost. Natural disasters and other situations occur. And no longer can the mortgage payment, based on the income from two salaries, be made. It is essential for us to live within our means. Next, I felt impressed to speak to mothers, to fathers, to sons and to daughters. I would say to each mother, each father, be a good listener. Communication is so vital today in our fast-paced world. Take time to listen. And to you children, talk to your mother and to your father. It may be difficult to realize, but your parents have lived through many of the same challenges which you face today. Often they see the big picture more clearly than you can. They pray for you each day and are entitled to the inspiration of our Heavenly Father in providing you counsel and advice. Mothers, share household duties. It's often easier to do everything yourself and to persuade your children to help, but it is so essential for them to learn the importance of doing their share. Fathers, I would counsel you to demonstrate love and kindness to your wife. Be patient with your children. Don't indulge them to excess, for they must learn to make their own way in the world. I would encourage you to be available to your children. I have heard it said that no man, as death approaches, has ever declared 
that he wished he had spent more time at the office. I love the following example taken from an article entitled A Day at the Beach by Arthur Gordon. Said he, when I was around 13, and my brother Tan, father had promised to take us to the circus. But at lunchtime, there was a phone call. Some urgent business required his attention downtown. We braced ourselves for disappointment. Then we heard him say, no, I won't be down. It will have to wait. When he came back to the table, Mother smiled and said, The circus keeps coming back, you know, said Father, but childhood doesn't. My brothers and sisters, time with your children is fleeting. Do not put off being with them now. Someone put it another way. Live only for tomorrow, and you will have a lot of empty yesterdays today. Parents, Help your children set goals concerning school and careers. Help your sons learn manners and respect for women and children. Said President Hinckley, as we train a new generation, so will the world be in a few years. If you're worried about the future, then look to the upbringing of your children. The Apostle Paul's statement to his beloved Timothy could well apply. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Parents, live your lives in such a way that your children will find you an example worthy of emulation. I admonish all families, search out your heritage. It's important to know as far as possible those who came before us. We discover something about ourselves when we learn about our ancestors. I recall as a boy hearing of the experiences of my Miller ancestors. In the spring of 1848, my great-grandparents, Charles Stuart Miller and Mary McGowan Miller, joined the Church in their native Scotland left their home in Rutherglen, Scotland, and journeyed across the Atlantic Ocean. They reached the port of New Orleans, traveled up the Mississippi River to St. Louis, Missouri, where a group of saints arriving there with them in 1849. One of their eleven children, Margaret, would become my great-grandmother. When the family arrived in St. Louis, planning to earn enough money to make their way, to the Salt Lake Valley, a plague of cholera struck the area. The Miller family was hard hit in the space of two weeks. Mother, father, and two of their sons died. My great-grandmother, Margaret Miller, was 13 years old at the time. Because of all the deaths in the area, there were no caskets available at any price. The older surviving boys dismantled the family's oxen pens in order to make crude caskets for the family members who had passed away. The nine remaining orphaned Miller children and the husband of one of the older daughters left St. Louis in the spring of 1850 with four oxen, one wagon, 
arriving finally in the Salt Lake Valley that same year. I owe such a debt of gratitude to these and other noble forebears who love the gospel and who love the Lord so deeply. They were willing to sacrifice all they had, including their own lives, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How grateful I am for the temple ordinances which bind us together for all in eternity. I emphasize how essential is the work we do in the temples of the Lord for our dead. Just two months ago today, members of my family gathered together in the Salt Lake Temple to perform sealings for some of our deceased ancestors. This was one of the most spiritual experiences our family has had together and enhanced the love we have for one another and the obligation which is ours to live worthy of our heritage. Years ago, when our youngest son Clark was attending a religion class at Brigham Young University, the instructor during a lecture asked him, Clark, what is an example of life with your father that you best remember? Hmm. The instructor later wrote to me and told me of the reply which Clark had given to the class. Said Clark, When I was a deacon in the Aaronic Priesthood, my father and I went pheasant hunting near Malad, Idaho. The day was Monday, the last day of the pheasant hunting season. We walked through numerous fields in search of pheasants, but only saw a few, and those we missed. Dad then said to me, Clark, he looked at his watch, let's unload our guns and we'll place them in this ditch. Then we'll kneel down to pray. I thought Dad would pray for more pheasants, but I was wrong. He explained to me that Elder Richard L. Evans of the Quorum of the Twelve was gravely ill and that at 12 noon on that particular Monday, the members of the Quorum of the Twelve, wherever they may be, were to kneel and in a way together unite in a fervent prayer of faith for Elder Evans. Removing our caps, we knelt. We prayed. I will remember the occasion, but I never dreamed a son was watching, was learning, was building his own testimony. Several years ago, we had a young paper boy who didn't always deliver the paper in the manner intended. Instead of getting the paper on the porch, he sometimes, well, accidentally, threw it into the bushes or even close to the street. Some on his paper route decided to start a petition of complaint. One day a delegation came to our home and asked my wife, Frances, to sign the petition. She declined, saying, Why, he's just a little boy, and the papers are so heavy for him. I'd never be critical of him, for he does try his best. The petition, however, was signed by many of the others on the paper route and sent to the boys' supervisors. Not many days afterward, I came home from work and found Frances in tears. When she was finally able to talk, she told me that she had just learned that the body of the little paper boy had been found in his garage where he had taken his own life. Apparently, the criticism heaped upon who had been 
too much for him to bear. How grateful we were that we had not joined in that criticism. What a vivid lesson this has always been regarding the importance of being nonjudgmental and treating everyone with kindness. The Savior should be our example. As is recorded of Him, He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He went about doing good, for God was with Him. Remember that oftentimes the wisdom of God appears as foolishness to man. But the greatest single lesson we can learn in mortality is that when God speaks and a man obeys, that man will always be right. May we ever follow the Prince of Peace, who literally showed for us the way to follow. For by doing so, we will survive these turbulent times. His divine plan can save us from the dangers which surround us on every side. His example points the way. When faced with temptation, he shunned it. When offered the world, he declined it. When asked for his life, he gave it. Now is our time. This is our place. May we follow him. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.